Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is Joe Garbarino. Joseph Garbarino is a pharmacist who works in the hospital setting. Obviously, he has to work with many physicians who are dealing with patients, inpatient, med reconciliation, discharge, all those issues that we need to talk about in primary care he has to deal with. So, Joe, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. McDonough. Um, Joe, my first question for you is, as a pharmacist, I, I think I've seen the role change over the years in my inpatient work. It seems like there's much more of a relationship between the physician clinicians and the pharmacists and the work they do. Yeah, it's actually a great observation. You know, the role of not just pharmacists, but all ancillary uh, care providers is evolving. And medicine is moving more towards a team approach and actually using uh, pharmacists as drug experts on the team kind of help the physicians on the team manage medications more safely and more effectively. So when you work together, obviously there's levels of expertise and knowledge. Now, you working in a hospital setting for so many years, you probably have a pretty good sense of the common things that docs do and the common things they do well and do poorly. I want to start off by asking you, what are some of the mistakes? I mean, if you were going to look at physicians and say, in the hospital setting, errors that they make with regard to their use of medications, what are the common things that you see as concerns? Well, I think first and foremost is dosing. Uh, you know, pharmacists uh, many times optimize the dose the patient receives. What I mean by that is if a patient has renal insufficiency or an issue with their liver, many times they require a lower dose. So, you know, many times the pharmacist will, uh, in consult with the physician, or sometimes having uh, automated uh, policies to allow this, but actually lower the dose of the medication to uh, dose the patient properly. The other um, issue that we see many times is drug interactions. So, uh, you know, just consulting with the physician to change the patient to the best drug possible to avoid, or you know, a drug interaction. So there are those types of things that happen. And is, I guess a lot of it is that physicians may not consider different risks or, or, or potential issues for the patients? That's correct. I mean, many times physicians have so many other uh, issues to worry about with the patient that, uh, you know, many times you can very easily overlook a dose. You can overlook a drug interaction. Uh, you can overlook uh, not having a patient on the uh, most optimal medication for a condition. You know, because of the physician, you're managing so much else. So the pharmacist can come in and, and help with that piece. Now, as things are changing and evolving, and as you talk about it, as there's more of a team, I notice, for instance, in my hospital and in others where I visit, that you'll almost have, in fact, not just almost, you'll actually have a team where the physicians and the pharmacists are working together, doing rounds together. That's correct. I mean, um, many times in your large teaching institutions, your very, very large hospitals, um, you know, they were the first to have the medical team. But now even your smaller community hospitals, even your non-teaching hospitals, very frequently have a pharmacist engage in rounds with the physician. So it's definitely growing. A lot of people in medicine, especially primary care, are turning to the hospitalist model, depending on who's listening around the country, in fact, around the world to this program. When they are going to their hospital, some may actually just work in their office and their patients may be taken care of by hospitalists. Others will be going and doing the traditional rounds. With the hospitalists taking charge in certain settings, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of that you see from your perspective as a pharmacist? We are definitely growing our hospitalist program in our hospitals. And the best thing for a pharmacist is access to the hospitalist. Uh, you know, hospitalists are, are normally employed by the hospital. So the pharmacist that works in the hospital has access to the chief of the hospital service, 
Uh, we as pharmacists can get messages out to the hospitalists. Let's say uh, we notice that um, the physicians are dosing uh, patients or not dosing patients for VTE prophylaxis. So we can get a memo out saying, you know, please assess your patients for VTE prophylaxis and uh, please choose the appropriate agent. Uh, you know, whether it be a like great heparin or heparin itself. So it's just the access to the physician. The other piece of that, too, is education. Uh, you know, many times as a pharmacist, I'll um, provide an education lunch for the hospitalist where we uh, pick a topic, uh, maybe um, new guidelines for uh, uh, new chest guidelines come out, give us an access to that to the hospital service. So it just to me, it's access more than anything else. And I think when you're talking about access, you're also talking about new generation of physicians who are coming up who are probably used to being trained in major medical centers where this actually started and was, was happening even earlier than your community hospitals. That's right. Um, you know, also, too, since uh, I come from a hospital residency program, many times after the third-year residency, uh, we'll uh, use the residents, hire one of the residents into our hospital service as well. So there's a continuity there. I knew him as a resident. Now they're a hospitalist. And, uh, you know, from working with me as a pharmacist or a member of my pharmacist team, uh, you know, they're a lot more apt to accept the recommendation because they're used to working with pharmacists in that setting. One of the things some of the listeners may not know, as I mentioned it before a couple of occasions, but I work with the pharmacists on a committee in my health system, and I've learned a lot more about how pharmacists do their job. You know, for a lot of physicians, what pharmacists do is almost invisible. I mean, a lot of the idea of taking medication, we just kind of write an order for a medicine, but there's so much more to it as far as the mixing and preparation, the making sure it's the right dose, comparing the doses or providing warnings. A lot of that happens in the hospital setting. It's more or less unseen, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. A lot of uh, the practice of pharmacy still happens in the quote-unquote basement of the hospital. Uh, you know, like we said earlier on in the program, you mentioned that, you know, pharmacists are now more visible on the floors rounding with the physicians, and that is a new phenomenon that's been growing. Uh, but they're still on the back end, the actual uh, dispensing of the medication, uh, making sure that the medications arrive to the nurse safely, uh, making sure it's the correct medication, and all those checks do happen behind the scenes. So for a hospital to have a good clinical program, the hospital needs a good operations program as well. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and today I'm speaking with Joe Garbarino. We're talking about pharmacy and pharmacy issues. We talk about med reconciliation, med reconciliation at discharge, making sure the medications are appropriate coming in. Talk a little bit about the importance of that, and certainly it's gained, it's a buzzword, but it's really gained importance for a lot of good reasons. Yes, uh, med reconciliation is very, very, very important. It's most important from a patient safety perspective. And it's something that everyone knows that practices in the hospital today, the Joint Commission and uh, Institute for Safe Medication Practice and many other organizations that are, are quality-based are really, really uh, encouraging and actually requiring member consolation to be done. Many times, um, you know, as a pharmacist in my hospitals, we are involved in the reconciliation process. And we do find a lot of mistakes. Uh, we find issues with patients that they were taking at home may have been the incorrect medication, um, may have been polypharmacy. Uh, and then the other thing we as pharmacists do in memory reconciliation is make sure that the hospital medications, so once the patient's admitted, the medication in the hospital match the home medication. Now, not exactly, of course, because as the medical condition changes in the hospital, we may want to hold the medication, we want to increase the dose or change to a different one. But at least make sure for chronic medical conditions that they're ordered in the hospital. And then the other piece of that is making sure the patient goes home on the correct medication. 
you know, many times in the hospital, we switch medications on patients while they're in the hospital. Uh, best example of those are statins. You know, most hospitals only have one statin on the formulary. So if a patient's home on statin A and we switch them to statin B in the hospital, it's real important to make sure that patient goes back home on statin A. It, and, and as everyone knows, if you have too much of a statin in your body, you risk rhabdomyolysis and other uh, other adverse effects that are very dangerous. So, you know, patients are on very high-risk medications today, so it's real important that we get the exact picture of what they're on at home uh, and then make sure they go home on the right medication. And that is obviously something, too, that's being looked at as we go more to the electronic medical record. And as hospitals go to meet meaningful use, stages one, two, and three, and more and more of them are becoming electronic, what differences has that made from the standpoint of pharmacy from your perspective? Well, CPOE, or physician order entry, and the actual uh, meaningful use and um, all the um, upgrades in technology have really, really impacted the profession of pharmacy and, and healthcare in general. Uh, if, from the standpoint of member reconciliation, what that has done uh, for the pharmacists is get them an electronic way of looking at it. Uh, when I first started, everything was on paper. So for me to be able to know what a patient was taking at home, uh, I'd have to search in the chart for the paper, uh, hope the, um, it was in the right spot, and then... Uh, try to find the doctor. Now electronically, I go to a computer screen, I bring up a patient's profile right there at the home ed. So I know what the home eds are before I even go talk to the patient or even go talk to the physician. And that just makes it a lot easier. I think what technology has done for the pharmacist is really change their role and streamline their role. So earlier on, I was asked about the pharmacists that are behind the scenes, and that is true. A lot of us are behind the scenes. But at the same time, because we're more automated now, we no longer have to, you know, type in the physician orders. Physicians are typing their own orders in. That gives us more time to be more clinical, be more visible on the floors. So that's one of the other uh, things that really tr- transition uh, pharmacy practice from inside the pharmacy to the patient floor area. In primary care practice, we often will get patients back from the hospital, and there can be confusing medications. There can be confusion for the patient. What do you suggest for docs who are out in practice to do to try and help their patients through that, that period of time, that transition from the hospital to home where they might get a little confused because the medicines can change? How quick should they be seen in the office? I mean, from your perspective, what would you have them do? I, w- I would definitely always encourage patients to follow up with their primary physician uh, as soon as possible. One of the other benefits of an electronic medical record, and we're not there yet, I mean, technology-wise, as we do move along meaningful use stages two and especially three, we'll be a lot more connected. But, you know, just having the patient's primary care uh, physician and primary care office have accurate information of what the patient received in the hospital, uh, have an accurate discharge summary uh, uh, so they can actually go over everything with the patient, that's really paramount. Many hospitals um, around the country now have pharmacists involved in the discharge of patients as well. Uh, I know the VA medical system has done this for years and actually published literature around this, where they actually, before the uh, patient leaves the hospital, they have a pharmacist talk with them. And then uh, some hospitals go as far as to call the patient 48 hours after discharge and say, hey, have you followed up with your primary doctor? Do you have any questions? Are you having any drug interactions? You know, because many times with length of stay and other uh, budgetary issues, we move patients out of hospitals uh, four or five days, and, you know, sometimes they should be in the hospital six, seven days. So those extra two days, they're still slightly acute. And uh, just talking to them 48 hours post-discharge, making sure they're on the right medicine, and 
making sure they follow up with their primary doctor, I think, is very, very important. You know, one of the things we always talk about, and we've talked about on this program many times, is the patient-centered medical home, which is obviously a concept where patients can have their total care more or less coordinated through their primary care physician with all the other specialists involved, and pharmacy plays a big role there. From your perspective on that, um, where do you see going down the road pharmacists having an impact? Well, I think that's a great question. Now where pharmacists as a profession is looking is to be more clinical outside of the, of the hospital, uh, to try to involve ourselves as pharmacists in large physician family practices throughout the country that have pharmacy representation in the outpatient setting. The um, American College of Clinical Pharmacy even has a board certification now in ambulatory care pharmacy. And really the, the whole purpose of obtaining that board certification is to be uh, you know, gain experience and qualification to, to uh, help the physicians and help the patients in the outpatient world. So definitely, I, I do, I'm a big proponent of having one uh, individual manage a patient's medical care, you know, having the uh, primary physician manage the majority of the care. It definitely avoids polypharmacy. It avoids a lot of the drug interactions where a specialist started something not aware that a, another specialist started something else. Uh, and, and pharmacists can play a major role in that. Um, Another thing pharmacists can do in that setting is help counsel patients. You know, many physicians are very busy in their practice and may not have the time to really explain how to give an injection or sit down with a patient an extra five minutes and explain, yes, you should take this medicine with meals or, no, uh, if you miss this medicine, uh, it's not good. Always make sure you take your medicine. Or even the follow-up with the patient. You know, um, if a patient, let's use a heart failure patient as an example. If a heart failure patient takes her diuretic and takes her beta blocker um, on schedule or ACE inhibitor, they can stay out of the hospital, and you can really, really uh, keep them healthier and, and live longer and cut the morbidity at home. So, um, you know, that, that's another area where pharmacy can impact the outpatient world. One last question while I have you here, and that is when you look at drugs that can get people in trouble, what are some of the ones you worry about that we as primary care docs should be thinking of and saying be really careful when you prescribe these things? I think the thing that gets us in trouble the most are medicines that we consider as benign and we give them to patients all the time. The medication that has the most adverse events that brings patients to an ER was warfarin uh, for a lot of years, and everyone knows, of course, uh, dietary restrictions around uh, vitamin K-containing foods and the drug interactions with the septuary 4 system of warfarin. Uh, the, uh, the other one is the new, uh, newer anticoagulants as well now are starting to bring uh, patients uh, into the hospital for adverse reactions. So definitely anticoagulants uh, to me are, are very, very... Uh, Dangerous, And it's not so much the anticoagulant itself, it's the drug interactions. So many times we had a patient stable on Coumadin with a great INR for many, many years. Uh, they have a, let's say, a, a UTI or maybe a, a bronchitis, and we start them on a, a quinolone. And there's a drug interaction between quinolones and, and morphine, and, and they're in the hospital with a high INR. So it's not so much the drug itself. It's a lot of times drug interaction, but definitely anticoagulants to me are, are number one. And the other ones, too, of course, are chronic medicines that require just routine monitoring, like statins. You know, you always want to look at liver function uh, for those medicines as well. But if I had to pick one class, I would say anticoagulants. Well, Dr. Joseph Garbarina, a pharmacist who has really worked in the clinical world for a lot of time, I want to thank you. I really appreciate you joining us and sharing your insights on primary care today. 
Thank you, Dr. McDonough. It was my pleasure. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any part of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash Primary Care Today to download the podcast and learn more about the series. Thank you very much for listening.